The first time I ever spoke in Harlem, uh, Henry led that song. Yep. And then we decided we're going to come to Harlem. Uh, goodness, it's just, it's just, man, I love, I love it here. Uh, that was great. That was great. That was really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, believe it or not, we're going to go to bed four more times and then be woken by the sweet aromas of roasted turkey, honey ham, stuffing, pumpkin pie, various cornbreads and mac and cheeses. I don't know what the vegans eat on Thanksgiving. Water, a lettuce, I don't know what your thing is. Yeah, no, I, res I respect how hard your life is, for sure. Uh, I, don't, I don't identify as American until the fourth Thursday of the 11 month of every year. And I feel like this is home. Uh, 8.1 billion calories were consumed last year on Thanksgiving Day. 45 million turkeys were prepared and over half a billion dollars were spent on turkeys alone. 20 million dollars in damages caused by fires uh, happened last year, which is actually right, right there on the average. Um, interestingly enough, in 1953, an employee at Swanson um, accidentally ordered way too many turkeys uh, for their stores. Um, 260 tons more than they needed, um, actually. And then the managers were like, hey, well, let's just slice it up, put it in with some frozen mashed potatoes and veggies, and that's how TV dinners were invented. Um, because someone ordered way too many turkeys in 1953. Uh, built into the name, built into our calendars, built into our family, is Thanksgiving. Give thanks for about 24 hours. Then, shop like the world is ending. There will be people lined up for hours. There will be stampedes. People will get hurt. Because the calendar says, go shop aggressively. Then, in less than a month, the calendar says, well, now you have to give gifts. What did you buy me? What did I buy you? Then, before you know it, the recovery check comes around, and it's the new year. And the calendar says, resolve to change something about last year, because last year wasn't good enough. I love the holidays. I love this time of year, but I also need to be very careful that I don't allow a financially driven calendar to dictate my level of gratitude. It's about to be Thanksgiving. But First Thessalonians 5.16 says we have to rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all circumstances. As Christians, as God's chosen people, as a royal priesthood, as a holy nation, and our ultimate citizenship ultimately being in heaven, as God's special possession that we may declare the praise of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, receiving his mercy, we don't need a calendar to remind us to be grateful. Our gratitude is not a response to the environment. It's a daily decision because of an understanding of who God is and who we can be because of him. We're going to be talking about gratitude and trusting God's timing today. Let's bring about us to Luke 17. Gratitude and trusting God's timing. 
Look, <laughs> thank you, campus ministry, <laughs> for approving of the topic. Luke 17, verse 11 reads, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into the village, ten men with leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, they stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Uh, when he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. Gratitude and trusting God's timing. There are ten men with leprosy. Now leprosy is a skin ailment with devastating consequences on the affected person. Medically, uh, white sores would develop all over the body. They would scab and peel and bleed and repeat and eat at the, f- uh, the flesh around it as well. Bones would rot from the inside under the skin and you would live in constant pain. Fingers uh, would, would often fall off. Um, your, 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 faith, your face would start to look mummified as the flesh around your skull dies. It was a horrible condition, extremely, extremely contagious And because of that, you would have to be isolated, literally removed from your regular life and family and placed in quarantine communes of other people with leprosy where you would then die. If you were to venture out into the border of the leper town or even even dare to push towards into the uh, neighboring cities, you had to wear a bell around your neck like cattle so people could hear that the lepers were coming before you even showed up. And on top of that, You were told that God wanted nothing to do with you. It is a life of isolation, pain, and multiple reminders that there is no shot of this getting better. A note that that Luke points out, when they they stood at a distance and called out to Jesus because they they weren't allowed to get close to people that didn't have leprosy. So it wasn't so much, oh, we see him, let's get, it's it's more like we're not allowed to close this gap. So we're going to yell because we know our position and we know that, that you should have nothing to want to do with us. It is a very, very dark place to be. Let's look at uh, Leviticus uh, 13 for some context here. That's on the other side of the Bible for the campus students. Other side. Or a table of contents and then find Leviticus. Leviticus 13 in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when anyone has a swelling or a rash or shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin, and if the hair in the, in the sore has turned white and the pore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines the person, the, the, that person, um, he should pronounce him ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. And if you jump to verse 45, Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. Um, They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. So not only is it bad, like physically, there's this carryover message from your ancestors that when you have this disease... We will treat you like you are no longer part of the family. 
we would treat you like you are pretty much no longer human now. At the time that that law was set, um, this needed to be the case, because if leprosy happened within the camp, then the Israelites would be gone. Leprosy would, would, would take over, and there would be no lineage for Jesus. So you had to remove this, this, this impure thing. Um, but then after generations and generations, the Pharisees had kind of twisted it and used it as, a, as fear tactics. Um, and then you had these people that were carrying all of that weight on them. And then, I mean, just, just think about having something wrong with you. And every time you were in public, people would scream your shortcoming at you. They would just yell, like whatever ailment, whatever flaw, whatever thing wrong with you. The general public was made aware of it, and whenever they saw you, they would scream that thing at you. This is a very, very difficult position to be in. If we jump back to, uh, to, uh, to Luke, um, in verse 14, um, it says, When Jesus saw them, he said, Go show yourselves uh, to the priests. Notice, Jesus never promised a healing here. Never. He sent them to the priest, which wasn't even a unique Jesus idea. It was leprosy protocol. That's what they had been taught to do from, from, uh, from the scriptures in, in Leviticus. Well, go, go see the priest. Um, and that, that then most likely means that these guys had already done that multiple times. Because, because they're, they're, they're collectively, they're already kind of in the, the, the leprosy commune. Um, and they had, uh, it seems like they've been here for a long time because they, had, they, they were together. So they had already done the required, go to the, well, Jesus, we already did that. And they said that we're, that, that this, this is in fact leprosy and, and, and we're stuck. So it wasn't a unique idea. Um, so you can imagine maybe like being told the same solution after it didn't work in the past. Further, just, like Jesus, I, I don't think you get it, man. That's, that, doesn't, that doesn't work. But Jesus told them the exact same thing. The definition of insanity is what? What is it? What is the... That's never been the definition of insanity. Never. It's never been that. Definition of insanity is a state of mental illness or extreme foolishness or irrationality. Um, if you were repeating the same action over and over, void of Jesus' plan, expecting a godly outcome, you're not insane. You're in sin. It's not, it's not insanity. You're just choosing to remain in sin if we're repeating the same actions, void of Christ, looking for Christ's outcomes. The moment you plug Jesus in, though, the moment Jesus tells you to do something, sometimes repetition is actually part of the plan. Repetition with no immediate result is actually part of the plan sometimes. And that's what these guys are experiencing here. In uh, 2 Kings 5, Naaman is told to dip himself in the Jordan River seven times, before he's healed of his leprosy. He's only healed after the seventh time. You have to trust God's timing that it took more than one attempt to get this fixed. In Joshua 6, it took the Israelite army a week and 13 rotations around the walls of Jericho for the walls to fall. They had to trust God's timing. Matthew 28, it took Jesus three separate prayers to get his heart right to become the perfect sacrifice for us. He had to trust God, and it wasn't one prayer. It wasn't one, God, help me here, great, I'm good, now I'm gone. No. He repeated the prayer, because I'm not sure I'm there yet. I'm not, I don't think I'm, I'm ready right now. So even Jesus had to trust God's timing enough to repeat the same thing over and over again. I think sometimes we give up way too easily. Way too soon. 
We become self-reliant and stubborn to God's instruction because the results didn't happen at the time that we wanted it to. Especially then when we see others succeed. Oh man, God forbid we have to work on something for a long time. And you think someone just started working on that and now they're there. It's like a festering sore. It's like our bones are rotting from the inside and our skin is falling off. Because we're focused on someone else's outcome. Like, what, where's mine? Where's, where's my blessing? Where's my, where's, my, where's, my, where's my moment? Where is... God, don't you know how long I've been doing this? Where is my moment? There's a website, a dating website. Uh, it's called Ashley Madison. Ashley Madison is a website where you go on if your intent is to cheat on your spouse. That's, that's the design of the website. It's, it's for married people only, and you sign up if you want to be unfaithful to your spouse. There are 57 million active accounts on Ashley Madison right now. A couple years ago, some hackers broke into the database and released all of the information of everyone on that. It's actually still public domain right now. All the members, all the, their name, uh, um, city uh, that, that you live in, first photo, they released all of that information uh, to the public. So Ashley Madison uh, panicked, and they did this like rebranding of themselves. Their, 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 their tagline used to be, life is short, have an affair. That's what, and this is not like, like an underground hidden. This is like, this was, this actually, I saw a commercial for this on ESPN one time. This was out there. Life is short, have an affair. After the hackers released the information, they tried to rebrand themselves. They, uh, they, they present, hey, we, we did a better, we're doing a better job at our firewalls. No one's going to hack in anymore. And now our tagline is, life is short, seize your moment. Like, listen, Ashley, you're not fooling me, Ashley. Uh, I know what you mean by seize your moment. I know what, I know what you, you're, you're, you're trying to market Infidelity, still. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't have to say have an affair anymore. I know exactly what you're talking about. You are not going to fool me. But breaking God's plan to expedite your self-perceived expected blessings is unfaithful. It, uh, um, it's, un, it's unfaithful, it's infidelity, and it's cheating on God. When we try and bypass His plan to get what we think we deserve. Because we think, where's my moment? Where's my time? It's mine, like, why, why, why don't I have this thing yet? You know what? Forget my fidelities. I'm going to go get it myself. It's cheating on God. Maybe that, maybe that, that, that doesn't stick. When I was um, about seven in, uh, in, in school in Nigeria, we had a, uh, a costume competition at our school. And I remember going home, like, Mom, um, I need you to make me a costume for this competition because I have the all intention of winning. I need to win because that's what I do. I'm going to win this competition. I'm going to have the best costume. And I know that you can make me one. So work your magic. I want to be Batman. So, you know, whatever you got to do to make that costume. My mom, magician, like when it comes to food or like money or costumes, she just kind of puts stuff together. And she made me Batman. She, 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 uh, she cut out like some old pajamas. I had like the underwear on the outside. Um, she made me a, the, the, the thing that, I mean, I, she made me like, like a utility belt from scratch in one day. 
I was Batman. <laughs> then I got to school expecting to just like dominate this competition. Like you, you don't even understand how good I have it and you, there's no way. So I get there and I'm like, this lame didn't bring his costume today. Neither did he or, or anyone else. I was about a week early for this, for this costume party. And I turn around and my dad drives away. So now I'm there, Batman, and it's nowhere near the time that we're supposed to be Batman. Uh, and so I, I mean, I, of course, start crying. I run to the principal's office, and the principal's like, hey, you can either be Batman for the rest of the day, or we can give you one of the janitor's outfits to wear that. So I spent the day thinking I was going to win a competition dressed up like one of the janitors from the school. It wasn't time for that yet. It wasn't time for the costume yet. And in my haste, I looked ridiculous. I looked like a fool. Because I didn't listen to the instruction well enough, and I tried to speed up, because I was excited about something. I tried to speed up the process. I made someone work extra hard they didn't have to. And then I looked absolutely ridiculous. Do you realize when God has a plan that's been locked in since before there was humans, and we say, no, 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 I need this at this, it's my money, I need it now, J.G. Wentworth. And we try and speed up, you look ridiculous. You are dressed in the wrong outfit, you are not, it's, it's, it's not time for that. Maybe that doesn't work. So don't cheat. Don't cheat. I'm going to set a timer on my phone. Don't cheat. You know, everyone's to kind of like try and make eye contact with the glare on my head. I'm going to put a one-minute timer. Don't, don't look at your phone. There's no times up there. Count in your head. When you think a minute has passed, raise your hand. Okay? You ready? Let's go three, two, one, go. It's going to be interesting on the audio that uh, on the internet, right? The minute of silence. Throwing you guys off of my talking, obviously. Oh, close. Almost there. I see a lot of hands. I see, okay, some hands went up. There's some hands up. Okay, more hands up. Careful. Some more hands. a lot riding on this, guys. If I had the Jeopardy music in the back, that would be ideal. Right on cue. <laughs> Alright. Okay. So there were about three people that got it right. And I would say 117, whose timing cannot be trusted. At the end of the day, guys, our perception of what's the right time is just, it's, we're just not good at this. And sure, there were three people. There were a handful of people. I think one here, two in the middle. Congratulations. But collectively, if you look at, our, at yourself as an entirety of your life, your idea of what the perfect time is, 
it's risky to assume that we have that on straight. But when we try and force, no, God, this is my time right now. I need my, my blessing right now. It's cheating on God's plan. You look ridiculous because you might just be wrong. We need to trust God's timing because when we do, miracles happen. When we trust God's timing. And patience is not waiting. Patience is the attitude you decide to have in situations when you're required to wait. Because the, the phrase, wait patiently, is implying that actually two separate ideas here. You, we, some, I think sometimes when you're forced to wait and you chalk it down as patience, but you're just anxious the whole time, that's not patience. You're just waiting. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience. And love is patient. So God is patient. So our lack of patience is not going to give us a, a, a honed-in view of what God wants. It might actually make you miss the timing. Because we're not looking at things the way that God is. You need to trust God's timing. In verse, 40, in verse uh, 14, it says, when, uh, when they saw him, they said, Go show yourself to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. One of them. Ten percent. Just one of these ten guys came back to communicate how grateful he was. Now, scientifically, uh, uh, medically, gratitude rewires the brain. Gives you better sleep, higher self-esteem, reduced depression, reduced blood pressure, better cognition and memory. There's actually real measurable health benefits to being grateful. So he gets healed, and he's healed because he's grateful. One came back, and it's noted that he was a Samaritan. I mean, it's half Jew, half Gentile. Uh, when, the, uh, when the Assyrians captured um, northern Egypt in 721 B.C., um, some of the Israelites stayed back um, rather than, 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 uh, than going with them, and they adopted all of the cultures and customs of the Assyrian Empire. They intermarried with the Assyrian people. They, they took on, like, they kind of made a hybrid of, of, between the two religions. So the, the, the Israelites that left and the Jewish people, like, they would that would be down the line, they saw these people that intermarried with the Assyrians in 721 B.C. as just, you guys are, are, are godless sellouts. Um, that was the, like the, the, the core of the issue with the Samaritans. It wasn't um, necessarily um, intermarriage that was going on at the time. It was backtracked a couple of generations of, you guys sold us out. Like, we were supposed to hold, hold tight and you chose to take on um, other cultures and customs and and, and intermarry, and we then are going <clears> to <throat> see you as unclean because you have um, taken on uh, uh, something else. They had, they had built a large wedge between themselves and the Jews. They were seen, again, they were seen as, as, as sellouts. Um, the Jews hated them for this. So this one Samaritan, he actually didn't need leprosy to understand isolation and suffering. Uh, he, knew, he knew about this prior to getting leprosy. Um, because that was already his life. Now he had a disease to drive home the point. He had the most working against him. And he was the only one that came back to say thank you. 
You know, when you've been around for a long time, it's very easy to become less grateful because great has become normal. And your perspective of things have shifted and you've just been, like, you expect a certain whatever. So then when that, that whatever once used to blow your mind and now it's like, yeah, no, it's cool. We have church on Sundays and sometimes midweeks. But I have complaints though. Remember how grateful you used to be the first time. The first time you were like, wait a minute, this is available? This is like, you're, you're not just trying to take advantage of me? Like you, you're, you genuinely care about the location of my soul at the end of my life? Enough to sacrifice your comfort to help me understand God better? There's a church that does this? There's a church with multiple regions that my family can get in contact with on the other side of the world? Because of this? Remember that time. Remember when sound doctrine blew your mind? When genuine care and concern blew your mind? If we are not careful, we can complain about God's church. Leaders, songs, location. List goes on. Now, let me, let me not say this is not designed to be a blind following, keep your opinions to yourself and do what you're told. Not at all. The church actually needs our individual uniqueness to make this great. But closet complaints won't fix anything. Not even the closet. <laughs> Nothing gets fixed if we just sit back and complain about things. So, in the reverse of that, we have a tech team that serves here to make church possible. No, no pay volunteering so that you can hear... Listen, a good mic and good speakers and slides that actually show the right words, and, and I'm constantly forgetting to tell them which scriptures I'm using, so they're kind of on the spot, like, going... They're volunteering to make church easy for us. That's not a given. There's security that's volunteering to protect us while we're at church. That just stand... They stand the whole outside the whole time to, to make sure that, that, honestly, the fact that you don't think about them means you're doing their job correctly. Because I've never been concerned with my because I see the security at the front. That's what we have right here. The ushers ush like Jesus is watching. They ush like, like their life depends on it. And that's, it's, 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 it's such a gift to have siblings in our kingdom that th when I come to church, I'm going to make sure that I'm setting up the room so that everyone can get the, the, the best uh, uh, possible experience of receiving God's word. Even if I have to walk around the whole time, even if I have to leave to count money, even if I have to, to, to whatever I have to do, what, whatever it takes to make our church experience better, I'll do it. And then there's people downstairs who are taking care of our children for free, presenting the Bible to them, teaching them what a family of God looks like outside our living rooms, and we get to be here with free babysitting. Do you know what this would cost outside of Sunday Aaron Davis Hall at 10 o'clock? More than what you're paying. And they're just doing it. 
Guys, we, we, we are in an incredible place. James and Zalika Warren have served... Listen, you, you don't... You'll, for good reason, you'll never understand the pressure of leading in God's church until you do it, and then it kind of makes you want to run away. There's, you, do, you, don't, you don't get time off. Even on vacations, even away with your family, like you can't switch concern, genuine concern. You can't switch that off. And for years, for years they have served this church. When I, um, right after I lost my dad, actually like a year after I lost my dad, there was this, I, I, I couldn't figure, there, there was a part of, of like the grieving process for me that I, I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't figure out and it frustrated me. Like to the point that like I would, I would avoid his friends because I didn't want to like have them talk to me about him. I just, I, I just, I, I was like this. And then James, very nonchalantly, explains like, oh, Stephen, well, you're, you're, you're grieving more than just your, your dad's passing. You're grieving like you, uh, you, uh, you, had, you moved away from, from your house. You're in a different church now. Um, you've put, like, your, your family has had to, had to go through all that as well. And I'm like, wow, that's it. That's why this is so hard. And James, just as a friend, like helped clear a year's worth of frustration in my mind. I, I have no choice but to be willingly grateful for the Warrens. The people who... Yes, for sure. The people who studied the Bible with you and are here, just, we aren't always the easiest people, Period. Let alone when you're trying to present, hey, like there's something about your life that needs to change. And they stuck it out with you. They sat down, they met multiple times, crazy hours, crazy locations, multiple metro card swipes and buses, and, and, and there was no Uber at that time. Uh, it's a lot of work that went into you being here. When was the last time you thanked the people? that sat down and studied the Bible with you? And that's not hypothetical. That's a real question to think about. Because if, if it wasn't sometime this week, I would reevaluate your self-perceived gratitude. Because yes, God can work through multiple and sure, but he worked through them to get you here. Steve Ravel, Rick Romaine, Lee Chan, Damon Coughlin, Elliot Wilson, Tavage Campbell, Patrick Charlier. Those are the seven guys that sat down with me for months to undo stubborn atheism in my heart. I had, I had, uh, I, I had uh, six very close friends die in about a five-month span that made me very angry at w- the gospel. I had to undo that I'm the firstborn of a minister's child in an African setup. There's a lot of stuff that I would have to pay a lot of money for, for, for someone to do in an office somewhere. And these teen workers said, no, no, Stephen, we'll, we'll help you through that. And I've been a disciple for 13 years. I can't ever, ever, ever take for granted the work that people put in to get me here. One came back of the ten. One of them came back. Jesus said... Genuinely surprised 
which is the, the a hints, I love when you get hints of Jesus' humanity here. He's like, wait a minute, where, where is the rest? I'm pretty sure if I like recall my perfect memory, there were ten of you guys. Where is the other nine? He had so much more in store for them. So much more in store for these nine guys. Hey, let's, let's benefit of the doubt. Let's say they thought they were grateful. They just didn't come back to Jesus. And that coming back saved this Samaritan man. They got their, their skin fixed. They got a medical miracle. Because they followed the regular procedure that had been the case for thousands of years. Just Jesus said it this time. But that's what they got. This Samaritan that came back, his faith made him well. His faith healed him. His faith brought him salvation. Our gratitude and our spirituality are mirrors of each other. You can, the, the ungrateful Christian is an oxymoron. doesn't exist. And if we have to make adjustments to make sure that our heart is, 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 is feeling and behaving in accordance to the level of gratitude that we owe God, we owe God the gratitude, then I think this week, where we're told by our calendars to be grateful, should just be how we operate. We just are grateful, not because we have to pretend that things aren't hard, not that we have to ignore the challenges that, that are very real in our lives, but just because we are so blown away by how we have been healed by Jesus. It's Thanksgiving. I pray that we can come back to Christ. It's, it's, it's about to become all, all of the holidays that can become very easy to forget Him. One came back. We can be the one that comes back. Amen. Thank you very much.